First Kings chapter number 17, First Kings chapter number 17. Uh, while you find your place there, I'll share a little bit with you. I've, I've, for the past few days, been praying over this service and just asking God's direction, what he wanted me to preach. And I, I don't know, man, I must have started about a half dozen sermons and finished a few of them and never could get peace about what the Lord wanted me to preach tonight. And um, I, the, I will admit this about myself. I don't ever like to preach a message twice. I probably couldn't preach a message twice the same way, even if I tried to. Uh, and but but I just I don't know. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's pride on my part, or I you know I don't know. But I I never like to preach the same message twice. And um, on Friday, the Lord laid something on my heart, and I shared with our seniors ministry. Of course, if you're going to preach a message uh, that you preached once before, the place you need to have preached it before is the seniors ministry. Amen. Um, because there's a chance they might not remember it by the time you preach it again. Sorry, I've already made everybody half mad already. So, and so I, the by the Lord's help, I'm gonna set aside my pride and I'm gonna do something I don't ever do. I'm gonna preach a message again, and I hope you'll just pray for me tonight. First Kings, chapter number 17. We'll begin reading verse number one, and I just want to share a few simple thoughts with you, and then we'll be done this evening. We'll read down to verse number seven. First Kings, chapter 17, verse number one. The Bible says. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass, after a while, that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. We'll stop there and pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for your word. Lord, I, I'm doing my best to be obedient to you tonight. I trust you'll bless it. And magnify not me, but magnify Christ tonight, Lord, and magnify yourself, glorify yourself in all that's said and done. Speak to the hearts of those present here. Lord, we love you, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. When we approach 1 Kings chapter number 17, we find in it a threefold story regarding God's working in the life of Elijah and those that are around him. We're introduced to this man Elijah in verse number 1. There's not much said about him. The Bible just calls him Elijah the Tishbite. You say, preacher, who was he? Well, his name was Elijah. And what do we know about him, preacher? Well, he's from a place called Tishbite. Amen. And uh, not Tikbat, amen, but Tishbat. No, he was uh, from a city and and uh, called Tishba, and and he was a Tishbat. And we really don't know much about Elijah. And you know that's by the plan of God. There's not a one of us is so big that we ought to overshadow the Lord. I'm gonna say that again. There's not a one of us so big that we should overshadow the Lord. And we learn about Elijah that he walks into the palace of the king of Israel, a man by the name of Ahab. He's a very wicked man, a very evil man, a very debauched individual. And he proclaims by the word of the Lord that it's not going to rain. It's not going to do upon the earth. There'll be no sustenance, no provision. There'll be drought and famine until he says otherwise. 
Now, that was probably a very dramatic moment in Elijah's life. It took a lot of nerve to do what he did. It took faith to do what he did. One commentator said that he was able to stand that way in the throne room of, Abraham, or of, uh, of Ahab because he in his own heart and mind was standing in the throne room of God. He doesn't say, as Ahab the king of Israel liveth. He says, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. And he makes this bold proclamation. No doubt there was nervousness. No doubt there was anxiety. But as sure as the word of the Lord is always true, it did not rain and it did not do. That presented a problem, however, because I don't know if you know this, but prophets need water just like cattle need water. Prophets need water just like kings need water. And God had already made provision for this. He had commanded Elijah to go and to dwell, to hide yourself. And, you know, there's a great truth there for a society. Amen. Uh, One of the great judgments of God upon a society is to remove the men of God from society. And so he commands Elijah to go and hide himself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. He says, when you're there, you're going to drink of the brook. And I've commanded the ravens to feed thee there. And so Elijah goes and sure enough, he finds this small brook sits down, begins to drink, and uh, then early in the morning, the ravens come flying by, uh, drop meat for him. Later on in the evening, the ravens come flying by, drop meat for him. And for a certain period of time, we don't know how long, but we know it couldn't have been longer than the drought. It couldn't have been more than three and a half years. And uh, my suspicion, for whatever that's worth, is it was probably a matter of weeks or months that he dwelt there by the brook. God faithfully fed him every single day. It looked as though there would be no provision, but God had made a way. Can I remind you, God can make a way where we don't see a way. God, we can look at a situation and say, you know, there's no possible way that this could change, or there's no possible way we'd come out of this, uh, but God is a way maker. He knows how to do things that you and I don't know how to do. And all seems to be well. Elijah's laid up by the brook, and no doubt he's trout fishing in the brook, and he's just enjoying, relaxing, vacating. God's providing for him. The raven's bringing him ribeye steak every morning, every night. He's just enjoying himself in the Lord. And everything seems to be going well until a day that all of a sudden he wakes up and he thinks to himself, you know, I believe that brook is running a little slower than it was yesterday. He gets up the next day and he says, not only is it slower, it's a little smaller than it was the day before. And over and over, and moment by moment, he watches this brook dry up. When we come to this passage of Scripture, if we were to somehow excise about three or four verses out of it, this chapter would really stand as a testament to the failure of God. You say, preacher, God's never failed. Amen. I agree with that. But, you know, often in our life, we, we, we live on the information from just a few verses And don't give time to God to bring about a solution. Often we stand on the precipice of of catastrophe and and we're tempted. I'm tempted and I bet you are too to, to shake our fist at God to say, Lord, you failed me. You've let me down. But can I remind you the story isn't done yet. God's never failed anyone and he won't fail you or me. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight. He's still faithful. He's still faithful. So, preacher, when is he still faithful? He's always faithful. He's faithful when it looks like everything's gone sideways. He's still faithful. He's faithful when it looks like he's failed. He's still faithful. When it looks like people have abandoned you, he's still faithful. When it looks like there's no way forward and it looks like there's no way out, he's still faithful. 
And the message of this chapter is that even at the times that it looks the darkest, he's still faithful. And if we'll trust him, he'll bring about an expected end that gives him glory and is for our good. I want to give you three thoughts tonight and then we'll be done. Let me say number one tonight. He's still faithful when the brook dries up. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, when his provision seems to fail. You imagine what this must have been like for Elijah. There's no question in Elijah's mind that he's directly within the heart and center of the will of God. He has found the brook that the ravens are flying by. I mean, he has no doubt whatsoever that he has done what God has commanded, that he has followed God's directions, that he is resting in the place where God has promised to provide for him. We have this idea sometimes that if we get in the heart and center of the will of God, that we're never going to have to be nervous. We're never going to have to live by faith. We're never going to have to struggle. Listen, I've got news for you. If you're in the heart and center of the will of God, you're in a place of deep protection. You're in a place of providential promise. But that doesn't exempt you from having to trust in the Lord. That doesn't exempt you from having hard times. That doesn't exempt you from having doubts and questions, confusions and frustrations. Elijah, even in the heart of God's will, watch the brook dry up. I found this to be true in my life. God will never bless us so much that we don't need him anymore. We'll say it again. He'll never bless us so much that we don't need him anymore. He'll always provide for us. David gave good testimony about this. David said, I've been young and now I'm old, yet have I never seen the righteous nor his seed uh, forsaken nor his seed begging bread. He didn't say they've always got full coffers. He didn't say that their pantries are always loaded up. But he said, I've never seen them have to go out and beg on the world's charity. God has always provided for his people. But listen, the fact that David says, I've never seen them begging implies there were times that had God not provided They would have had to beg. So what are you getting at, preacher? Well, I'm saying this. You say, preacher, I don't understand it. I'm tithing and still I struggle sometimes. Preacher, I don't understand it. I give to missions and still sometimes it's hard to make ends meet. Yeah, but haven't you always found that when you can't make them meet, God meets them for you? I don't know about you. People can look at me and tell that God's blessed me. Amen. I'm going to say that again. I don't think some of y'all caught that. Uh, the Bible talks about those that dwell in the house of the Lord, that they shall be fat and flourishing, man. And I ain't out of shape, man. I'm just blessed. God's been good to me, amen. I don't hide God's blessing. I, I wear it right on the front of my belly, amen. Uh, the truth of the matter is we can look around at all of us and tell us that God, that, hey, listen, he ain't got us living by the wire. You say, but preacher, you don't understand. The debt collector called. Preacher, you don't understand. They, they're threatening to shut off the power. Preacher, you don't understand. Here's what I do know. I do know that God has never failed anyone and he's not going to fail you. I know that in spite of how tight things may seem, in spite of times when it looks like his provision has failed, he has never failed and he will not fail you. There's going to be times and he won't bless you till you don't need him, but he'll keep you in a place. You know, Solomon understood the wisdom of this and he prayed and he asked the Lord and he said, give me enough bread uh, so that I don't go out and steal uh, to have to need it. But Lord, don't give me so much uh, that I grow complacent and curse your name. He understood that the material things that God blesses us with are merely a conduit or a means to growing and developing our faith. Uh, It should not surprise us that sometimes God demands that we lean upon him for our needs to be met. After all, we do walk by faith and not by sight. Your Christianity isn't broken just because you're broke. God meets the needs. He was here under the direct 
uh, direct plan of God. He was in the very heart and center of the will of God. He knew there was no question in his mind. God was providing. And by the way, isn't it amazing? The miracle that would have been thought to be impossible never failed. But the natural means of providing for him did fail. Now, the Bible never says the ravens quit coming. The Bible simply says the brook dried up. In other words, it wasn't the miracle that failed. Hey, it was the natural means that failed. And I'll tell you this, there'll be times your natural means will fail. I was talking to somebody the other day, and, and we were actually talking about when babies are little. And uh, when babies are little, and we got some little babies around here, I love it, I think it's great that y'all are having kids. And um, we got these babies around here. And these mamas, you know, I, the, I, I told, I guess I was talking to dad, I said, you know, when my two were little, I don't really remember when Leah slept. I said, I, I'm sure there were times, because she would have died otherwise, but I don't really remember when she slept. She just sort of slept when she could. And, you know, she gave a hearty amen when I shared that with her. She said, yeah, you just kind of learn to sleep whenever you can, and it ain't enough, but it has to be enough because you got to go on and, and make it anyway. And, I, you know, I thought to myself, how many times in our life have we looked at, at how God has provided for us? And the paychecks weren't enough. There were more bills than paychecks. We look back and often we can't even describe how God met our needs. It does not compute. It doesn't, it doesn't fit and it doesn't, it doesn't G and haw in the ledger books, but somehow God always, and like the woman who later on in the chapter would reach into the barrel of meal and the cruise of oil, there was just always there. God always met the need. I don't think any of us are laid up in the lap of luxury. If you are, you better be tithing more. Somebody say amen. But I think all of us would have to admit that God's never let us go hungry. And and part of the problem is we've let these prosperity preachers convince us that the purpose in our Christianity is to put a bunch of money in our bank. Nothing could be further from the truth. And God never promised to make you wealthy on this side of glory. I'll tell you this, we're wealthy on the other side of glory. But he did promise that he'd always meet your need. So it looked it looked like God's provision had failed. But in fact, God had not failed him. God was moving him. And the Bible says in verse number 8, and look at this next little section of Scripture with us. The Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand, some of that honey butter from Texas Roadhouse. And she said, That's in the Hebrew, amen. And she said, She said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it, for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. So in these opening verses, here's what we learn. We learn even when the brook dries up, God's still faithful. 
And when it looks like his provision has failed and we think, well, you know, Lord, I don't want to live this close to the wire. We find out that being in the center of his will is not close to the wire. God always meets the needs of his people. But when we come to these next few verses, here's what we learn. We learn he's still faithful even when the barrel dwindles. Say, preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, let me say it this way. He's still faithful when his provision seems to fail. But number two, he's still faithful when his plan seems to fail. I, I love this passage of scripture. I, the, one of the things that I think we do at great disservice to ourselves is we forget that the people in the Bible are real people. And we don't, we don't imagine them thinking like real people think and behaving as real people behave. And I think sometimes we miss some profound truths in the word of God. And I can sort of imagine Elijah sitting by the brook Cherith and he's starting to get nervous. You know, I mean, the ravens are still coming and they're still bringing the, the meat every day. But all of a sudden the brook is drying up and he can live a lot longer without that meat than he can without that water. And he's starting to get nervous. No doubt he was praying and asking for the Lord's direction, asking God to, to increase the flow of water, asking God to make a way, asking God to meet a need. And then all of a sudden the voice of the Lord speaks to him and says, Elijah, I'm done with you here. I'm moving you to a new place. And he says, go to a place called Zarephath. Zarephath is a Gentile city. It's not a place of Jews. It's not a place of people that know the God of the Bible. But he says, go to a place called Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. And he says, behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And I don't know about you, but I can imagine how Elijah began to picture this situation. We know the end of the story. We know this woman's uh, financial situation, but Elijah doesn't. All he knows is God has commanded a widow woman to, to sustain him. Now, there's poor widows and there's rich widows. And no doubt Elijah thought to himself, well, this is wonderful. God has took me from the brook and now no more sleeping out under the stars, no more drinking out of the brook, no more eating meat that ravens bring to me. Finally, my faithfulness is being rewarded. God has, has commanded this rich, kind widow woman uh, to take care of me and I'll get there and it'll be feather beds and it, it'll be full tables and full bellies and it's going to be wonderful. I'll get there. She'll have everything that I could possibly need. And God has finally rewarded me for my faithfulness and faith in following him. He gets to the city. And as he walks up to the gate, he sees this poor woman out there gathering sticks. And she looks pitiful. And, you know, probably he thought to himself, bless her heart. I'm going to talk to that rich widow woman when I get up there. And we're going to see if we can do something for this lady. (laughs) We're going to see if we can take up a love offering for her. Maybe we can do something to help her. I mean, she's out here just just gathering a few sticks together and bless her heart. I mean, we're going to do something to try to help her. It's, it's, it's a pity. I'm going to talk to that rich woman that's getting ready to take care of me, and we're going to help this lady. And she walks up, and he walks up, and they begin to talk. And God looks at him and says, uh, Elijah, that's her. Don't you imagine Elijah, his heart sunk. Don't you imagine he thought to himself, how is this woman going to take care of me? She can't take care of herself. She's preparing a last meal for her and her son. They're going to eat it and die. And God, this is who you chose to provide for me. I began to think not only on that side of it, but I began to think of it on the other side of it. Think about this woman. The Bible tells us she's a Zidonian. She doesn't know God. We don't know when exactly the Lord spoke to her, but we know at some point a God that she did not know spoke to her in a voice she had never heard 
and told her that he had a special plan and purpose for her life. That in fact, God was going to use her to protect and to give shelter to a prophet of the Lord. Probably when the Lord told her this, or possibly at the very least, it was better times. I mean, undoubtedly there was more meal in the barrel. Undoubtedly there was more oil in the cruise. Undoubtedly when God commissioned her to do this, things had a, a more sunny disposition. And you imagine as she waited, as famine gripped the land, as the crops failed, as the water sources failed, as her resources failed, and God has told her, I have a plan for your life, I'm going to use you in this unique way. And the whole time, the means of her being used of God seemed to be dissipating. No doubt she had times when she thought, now Lord, if you want to use me this way, you're going to have to hurry up. Because things ain't getting better, they're only getting worse. Maybe she had a notion that somehow Elijah would bring some means or resource to help provide, to contribute to the home in some way, but that wasn't the case. It's sort of, I remember, I, I used to be a youth pastor in church in a rough part of town. There'd be a lot of homeless folks walk up and down through there, and there's always asking you for money. And I learned, God showed me one day, the best, most kind, most compassionate way to deal with them. And that is when you see them coming, you ask them for money first. And they don't know what to say. You can see them coming up to you and they start walking up to you. And before they can say anything, you step up and say, hey, buddy, you ain't got a couple bucks I could borrow, do you? And they just look at you because they don't know what to say to you then. You imagine that this woman's out there gathering sticks to build a last fire. Elijah's looking for a rich widow. This woman's looking for a rich prophet. They bump into each other and realize that, in fact, they're the ones God had appointed to provide for one another. I'd say this, man. Sometimes it's going to look like God's plan has failed. Sometimes it's going to look like God does not know what he's doing. Sometimes it will look like God has dropped the ball and and you'll just be trying to be faithful to the Lord and follow him and do as he would have you do. And all of a sudden it'll look like everything has fallen apart. We know from reading a little further down in this passage, things weren't falling apart, man. Things were falling into place. God was going to perform a miracle, and God was going to do a remarkable thing in this family. But at that moment, it did not look like that. If you were to take those handful of verses out, if you were to to take away from it, verse 14, the barrel of mill shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. If you were to take verse 16, the barrel of mill wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. If you didn't read that far, you'd say God has failed. The reason tonight you feel like he's failed is you ain't read far enough. There's still more to the story. He ain't done yet. I'd tell you this, if he hadn't done that miracle, he would have failed. But he's never failed. So you know what he did? He performed a miracle. I'd say this, when the when the brook dries up, he's still faithful. When the barrel dwindles, he's still faithful. Read a little more with me tonight. I'll say one more thing and be done. Verse 17. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, what have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Had to be a hard thing for Elijah to hear. And he said unto her, give me thy son. 
And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? You know, sometimes even preachers don't understand things. Sometimes even preachers look at the Lord and say, God, what are you doing? You say, preacher, it's just us church. No, it's everybody. And sometimes even the people tasked with giving the answers have questions that they don't understand. And he prays and he says, Lord, why are you doing this? Verse 21, he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came into him again and he revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. So God is still faithful. He's still faithful even when the brook dries up. And it looks like his provision has failed. He's still faithful. Listen, even when the barrel dwindles. And it looks like his plan has failed. It looks like he didn't know what he was doing. But I would tell you this tonight, he's even still faithful when the boy dies and when it looks like his protection has failed. This is a deep, intimate moment in Scripture. It's it's bigger, it's heavier than I can do justice in the preaching. We read it and we know the end of the story. But this woman, when she, with, with broken heart, with tears in her eyes, comes to Elijah and says, Why? Why did you come here? It's all good and well to have the meal. It's all good and well to have the oil. But if I don't have my boy, what does any of it matter? You just come to remind me I'm a sinner and to bring the judgment of God. And and, and that had to be hard for Elijah to hear. He doesn't understand. He doesn't have a good answer for her. And you can tell that because he goes to God to get an answer. Lord, I don't understand what's happening. You know, if we took away from it, verse 22 onward, we'd say God had let this family down. We'd say God had failed them. We'd say God promised both Elijah and this woman that if they'd be in the heart and center of his will, he'd protect them. He'd watch over them. Why would God give the miracle of the of the meal and the oil if he was just going to let this boy die anyway? But I'm glad the passage doesn't end at verse 21. It goes further and we find out this, that God in his miraculous power has the ability to give back things that we thought were forever lost. (laughs) This is a fascinating passage for a number of reasons. One of the reasons this struck me as I was reading this when Elijah, you know, we, we, we have the whole Bible. Praise the Lord. We ain't waiting for no apocryphal books or from dig something out of a trash bin somewhere. We have all the Bible. And so we know the end of the story. You know, we understand what's getting ready to happen. And we know that there are many people, in fact, ten occasions in the Bible in which God raises people from the dead. Uh, He would go on later on to uh, raise several people in the Old Testament, several people in the New Testament. In fact, there's still some that will be raised, not just in the sense of the church writ large, and not just in, the, but the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that there will be two witnesses that during the tribulation will be raised from the dead. We know all these things. But did you know of those ten occasions, this is the very first. When Elijah prays and asks God to revive this child, 
He's asking for something that has never been done before. You say, preacher, we have all this long precedent that God will meet our needs. Well, in this passage, Elijah didn't. He could have thought to himself, this is too big for God to do. You know, part of the reason we get frustrated at God is we we get focused on the magnitude of our problems instead of the magnitude of his person. And we look and say, this problem must be bigger than any that God has ever faced. But the question is not, is it a problem bigger than he's faced? The question is, is it a problem bigger than he is? The fact of the matter is, this was a problem God had never faced before, but he handled it with the same ease that he handles every problem. Why? Because he's a God bigger than death. And he's a God bigger than sorrow. And he's a God bigger than despair. And he's a God bigger than need. What your need is, he's bigger than. He has the ability. And so Elijah prays and asks God and, 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 and God gives this child's soul back into his body and he revives. And all of the sudden, what looked to be a scene of mourning is a scene of miracle. What looked to be a scene of despair is a scene of rejoicing. But you know, up until verse 22, it did not look that way. I couldn't imagine going through what this woman went through. Uh, but I can tell you this, that in your life, no matter what you face, there'll never be a time, there'll never be a problem, there'll never be an affliction that enters your life because God couldn't keep it out. Everything that enters your life will enter your life because God has permitted it to do so. We learn this from the book of Job before Satan. And people say, well, Satan will this and Satan will that and evil spirit will this and devil will that. And But you know, at the end of the day, Job belonged to the Lord and the devil couldn't do a thing to his life unless God allowed him to. And you say, well, preacher, that's terrible that God allowed it. Well, maybe Job in chapter 2 would have said that. But I don't believe Job long about chapter 42 would have said that. I think he would have probably said when the Bible says that the end of Job was better than the beginning, when the Bible says God blessed him more in the latter end than he did in the beginning, I believe that Job would have said, you know, he's still faithful. In the midst of all of it, he's never failed me. In the midst of all of it, he's been good to me. Even when life wasn't good to me, God was good to me. Are you listening to me? There's going to be times that life ain't good to you, but God will always be good to you. You say, well, preacher, how could that be so? I remember hearing a charismatic preacher say years ago on the radio, he said, well, you know, God is a good God, so good things come from God, and the devil's a bad devil, and bad things come from the devil. I hope nobody gives him a Bible. It's going to mess up his theology. Bless his heart. If he ever read this book, (laughs) he'd have to rewrite everything in his sermon outline. No, the truth of the matter is, even if you're a child of God, problems happen. Well, how, How could we walk by faith were that not the case? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's biblical. I'm saying not that it doesn't hurt, but I'm saying it is holy and it is healthy. And if it's appointed by the hand of God, we can rest assured that he will never, ever fail us. So here's what I want to tell you tonight. I don't know what you're going through, but I know he's still faithful. We shared prayer requests, some of the things. I know some of the burdens you're facing. I don't I don't know how everything's going in, but I know he's still faithful. I know he'll be faithful every step of the way through this. I know your flesh is screaming right now that he's failed you. But it would be the first time ever. God has never failed anyone. You know, the Bible, one of the beautiful truths in the word of God, the Bible tells us that the worlds were framed by the word of God. That God spoke things into existence. 
And, you know, one of the things I've learned, it doesn't matter how well something is constructed, if the foundation upon which it is built crumbles, it will topple. And you say, preacher, I'm just, I'm a person of science. Give me logic. Give me rationale. Give me reason. Let me give you some theological rationale. The worlds were framed by the word of God. You want to know if God keeps his word? The world's still standing. In fact, there'll come a day that God will destroy this world, but his word will still be true. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Heaven and earth will fail, but his word will never fail. You say, preacher, I just don't, I don't understand. My world seems to be crumbling. Ah, it may look that way, but your God's still on his throne. And you can tell, you can look around. You want to know if God's faithful? Look at the sky in heaven. Look at the grass outside. Look at the sun in its course. Breathe in the air that his word put around us and be reminded that if that hasn't failed, his word hasn't failed. And God is always faithful to his people. The question is not, is he faithful? The question is, will you be faithful past the first few verses? Will you trust him past the first few verses? Will you trust him not just when the brook is running strong, but when it begins to dwindle? Will you trust him not just when you're having every need met, but when it's your job to go and to pronounce and to see God work in the life of someone and see them used to provide and and meet your needs and it looks like it's impossible? Will you be willing to trust him when it looks like despair and failure has come to your house? I'll tell you this, we ought to trust him because he'll never let us down. Let's bow together tonight. Altar's open. Musicians going to come play. Connie's going to play. I, I invite you. I encourage you to come. If God touched your heart, would you meet him down on the altar? Now, there's going to be times in your life it's going to look like you failed. I don't just guess that. I guarantee it. I guarantee there's going to be times it's look like he's failed. But I promise you this. He's never failed, and he will not start with you. Why don't you come cast your heart upon him tonight? Father, I love you. Bless this invitation. We ask it in Christ's name.